Welcome to Catholics Across the Isle, the podcast of the Florida Conference of Catholic Bishops, offering commentary on public policy and civic life. This is Michael Sheedy, Executive Director of the Conference. I'm Michael Sheedy. I'm here today with Clemente Aguirre, Florida's 28th exoneree from death row. Clemente, it's a pleasure to be with you. Oh, thank you for having me. Clemente, uh, you've recently been speaking to legislators here in Tallahassee, um, sharing a bit of your story. I know that I attended a hearing, uh, and one of the prominent members of the Florida legislature, Representative Jamie Grant, uh, observed that in his interactions with you and some of your fellow exonerees that he was struck by your joy, your peace, that you smile so much. Uh, it made a big impression on him, despite the injustice that you faced in being wrongfully convicted and serving 14 years on Florida's death row. Um, how, how, how do you do that? Um, the interpeace, I guess, that God has given me. I, for a long time, I live in hate, but I always explain to people that that was like a cancer killing me and prayer took me out of that. <clears throat> From there on I started seeing uh, life in a very di- different perspective and in a different way. Um, and now that I am being exonerated, uh, when I speak to people I smile. One, because I'm free not only in my mind but also in body. Uh, and injustice uh, did not occur on, on my case, they, they execute me. Uh, finally, the truth came out, and we were able to prove that I am innocent. So it's a lot of reasons to smile. A lot of yeah. reasons, yeah, that's for sure. All right, well, Clemente, I know you uh, are a native of Honduras, and your family is from Nicaragua. Yes, uh, I was conceived in Nicaragua. But the a civil war exploded in 1979, and my father told my mother we need to move out of here, and they went to Honduras, and I was born there May 11, 1980. Mm-hmm. But so you had some roots there and in and in uh, Nicaragua. Yes, I was I was I was raised between the two countries because I would I would live with my mother for a certain amount of months, and in vacation from school, whatever break I have. She used to send me to my grandma to help on the farm. Mm-hmm. Oh, neat. And then you ended up coming to the United States. Um, Running for uh, gang violence. I was harassed and uh, poverty. You know, a lot of things I combined together, but more than anything, the harassment I was getting from the gangs. I didn't want to be a gang member, so I was harassed because of it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have no choice but to run away to the United States. Mm-hmm. And I, I know you... You lived here in Altamont Springs when these unfortunate events unfolded. Uh, what would you What would you like to say about your case that, that brought you into the criminal justice system here? Well, um, I have uh, the day off, and uh, you know, I was in my early twenties, so I went for drinks, and I haven't finished partying with friends or whatnot. But this time I'm alone. Uh, it's like six o'clock in the morning and I look for a beer and I didn't have any so like I have done dozens of times before 
I went to my neighbor's house, a house looking for a, another pillar, and I found them dead. Uh, I don't know how to act or react. Uh, my instinct was drawn and trying to help, looking for uh, signs of life. So I, I pick her up, uh, one of the victims, and put her on top of my legs and touch her neck because I couldn't, I touched her wrist first, but I couldn't touch her neck uh, the way I wanted to, the, in the position that she was. So blood got in my clothes and uh, oh my God, I found another victim that, that was her mother. Walk in the house, I, this time I don't know, I have blood in my shoes and I was leaving footprints behind. They were already hard or stiff. Um, so that that would say that they were been dead for a period of time, you know, a few hours. Uh, so I, because my legal migration status, uh, I came here illegally. Um, I was afraid they'd be deported. So I run to my room and change clothes, take a shower, and debate, am I going to call the police now? Um, in those times, um, Florida was doing quietly what Arizona did really loud later. Um, they will cut somebody without papers and they put us a John Doe in the jail and they will call immigration on them. So I knew that was happening because I have a lot of uh, undocumented uh, friends that were arrested and deported. So that was my fear that I am going to be deported and even worse for a crime I did not commit. Mm -hmm. So. Never in my mind occurred to me that I would be charged with the mother of my friends, my only friends at the time, really. Oh, wow. What a, what a heavy burden that had to be. I, I can't imagine. I know uh, that's one of the biggest problems with our broken immigration system. People have to kind of live in the shadows and think about things that most of us wouldn't have to think about, and it just impedes. You have to at least in my perspective uh, or point of view, you have to act, like you say, in the shadows like a criminal, even though you are no one, but you know if you get caught driving, jaywalking, or whatever is the case, uh, you can be deported. After all the investment of money that you have put into. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, 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 we live in fear, always have, and always will, unless this thing is resolved. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, you know, after after witnessing a horrific crime, uh, you found yourself stunningly, surprisingly convicted. And uh, you know what 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 transpired uh, to ultimately what what were the steps that you had to get through to ultimately be exonerated? It took it took a long time. I I was charged because they say they found uh, some f my left palm print in the knife or something. I say it's impossible because I'm a right-handed and I did touch the knife but with my right hand. If you have a fingerprint of mine, it should be my right hand. Uh, my lawyer didn't want to listen to me. He say, it doesn't matter. You, you touch it, you touch it. Um, plead guilty. He, for 18 months, asked me to plead guilty of the crime. I did not. I, I am not going to say I did something when I didn't do it. It's the way my mother raised me. Um, I stand up for what I believe and what is the truth. And they're trying to tell me what I did and what I didn't, and they weren't there. I was there, and I can tell you what I did and what I didn't. Um, 
fast forward July 3rd, 2006, I am in Florida State Prison death row. Um, I was beat up because I didn't speak English, like I say, and they would ask me to do things, and how can I, and I don't understand what you're saying. I knew they have people who speak Spanish because as many Puerto Ricans, as many Cubans and Mexicans, um, Colombians, Latins like they uh, are poli correctional police officers, but that wasn't given to me. It was given uh, an African-American and a Caucasian uh, officer who didn't speak Spanish. So they thought I was acting, and by beating me up, they're going to take the English out of me, and I will stop acting. And I, I never came because I didn't speak English, so how can I? It took me, let me tell you this, I, I cried for like five months straight, day and night. Um, I was mad at God because I was telling him how you allow this to happen. I always believed the people that were in prison was because they did something, uh, not because they found two bodies dead, I mean, or because they didn't call the police because they're afraid of immigration. You shouldn't end the road in that road because of that. Um, but eventually, I don't know, I I believe God talked to you in very different ways. And to me, it wasn't my dreams. And for like 10 days, 12 days around that, I can remember exactly. I wake up every day, 3 o'clock in the morning, sweating. It's like something say, get up, or someone tell me wake up, get up, do something. So I have one moment in time in the afternoon. It was like 3 o'clock in the afternoon one day in the week. And everybody was watching TV. I didn't have TV at the time, so I, I couldn't afford it. And I could hear in that road the wind blowing. <whistles> like you in the cemetery. I had heard a whistle like that of the air in cemeteries before that I had go to visit, you know, uh, loved ones. And it's exactly what the road sound like when it's quiet. And, and this uh, talk come to me, okay, are you gonna cry to, to death? Are you gonna stand up and you're gonna learn English and you're gonna fight and you're gonna fight for the truth? Because if you don't fight for the truth, who else gonna fight for the truth? Nobody come for you. You need to go and search. You need to go and reach out. Somebody might extend his hand to you. And that's what I did. I asked for a Bible. Because I have a Bible in Spanish, not in English. So I thought it would be easy to translate it. Uh -huh. uh, they told me, Bibles are for the street. This is hell and earth. So nobody sent me a Bible. Somebody else thought it's going to be funny to send me um, a pornographic book with a image but words only. It called Penthouse Letters number four. It got five hundred and seventeen pages. Okay, I didn't know what I was reading, so I started reading it. I read it seventeen times. And the seventeen time that I was reading it, I start getting excited. And I'm like I was so happy, not because I was getting excited or aroused, it's because I was understanding what I was reading and I started laughing and talk to God and I say, you got a queer, weird sense of humor because you find the filthiest thing in this place to teach me something. You can imagine my vocabulary was really, really dirty. I was uh, cursing a lot because the words in there are like that. And it took me 
like a year to try to clean it up a little bit more. So the total was maybe three years. So in 2009, I wrote 175 letters. Um, I didn't wrote more because I didn't have no stamps. You know, that cost money. So I wrote opera to Chicago, Illinois, and I say, I know, I don't know who you are, but everybody in here telling me that you're the queen of television, so maybe you know somebody who can test this evidence because they're trying to kill me for a crime I did not commit. Uh, past years, nobody answered. In 2011, the Innocent Project of New York brought me back. I, um, they come and see me, and through my lawyer, Maria Deliberado, at the time, uh, we got in communication, and we present some papers and whatnot. And when they come and see me, they ask me, uh, what is that you want us to test? Because you're looking for DNA testing, you need to tell me what do you want us to test. And uh, I say, what do you mean? What to test? Everything. They say my blood is there. In close argument, the state attorney told the jury that my blood was there. Even though they didn't test no one piece of evidence with blood anywhere, except my clothes, and they find out that the blood had been taken from me. But as you had their blood on you, but they did not have your blood on them. Correct. And the wounds that killed these people would have inflicted harm on the person who was harming them. I believe so because one of the beaten guys stabbed 129 times. So for that amount of stabs, uh, experts now that have testified from the state and from the defense, and everybody concurred that somebody who stabs somebody else that many times will have blood in their hands so much they will slide and will cut himself or herself. Um, so I'm begging them to test DNA because I know my blood is nowhere. I know I didn't kill nobody. Uh, so they um, they look at me like in a funny way with a smile and say, I believe you. This is the first people who really tell me, beside my mother and my best friend, I believe you. And I said, what? She said, yeah. The reason I ask you what you want me to test is because a person who does something will know more or less where we can find his stuff. You, on the other hand, want to test nails, you want to test, you want to test blankets, you want to test carpet, everything. And I said, yeah, because I didn't do it. And she said, yeah, and I believe you. So we're going to put a motion, and we're going to bring some papers to sign to make this legal. And we did it. We asked the court to for the DNA to be tested. Uh, the innocent person say it's not going to be too close uh, to Florida in any way. We will pay for it. Uh, it was 150 pieces of evidence that have blood on it. They allow us to test 82 of them only. The state did not, did not object. Uh, when the results came back, we found three drops of blood of a female. We don't know, it wasn't the victims, and we know I'm not a female, so we didn't know which female was, because the daughter and granddaughter of the victims said she wasn't there. So who, who is this female blood? But my lawyers, you know, you know, attorneys, they have some kind of point of view in crime or whatever. This is the first time I had anything to do with law enforcement. 
I have never been arrested in my life. I have no record at all. Period. They say they they want to test uh, more blood um, evidence. Now they stay object and say, Your Honor, it, it don't matter because we don't know who this blood belongs to. But my lawyer say, Well, we are about to find out if you let us test. We want to know if it's some more. Uh, the judge have no other option but to allow us to take the other 62 pieces of the evidence, 68. So when we did that, another five drops of blood came about of the same person related. So we asked her uh, to test the daughter and granddaughter of the victims, and she flew away. Mm -hmm.